are listening to Radio Influence. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell, and we are your weekly source for performance information. Listen, if you'd like to reach out to us, questions, comments, smart remarks, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. If you have a topic or something you'd like us to investigate, we'll dig down deep, no doubt about it. Or if you have a question and you need some answers, here's what we can promise. If we don't have the answer, we'll find the answer. Uh, we probably know somebody who probably knows somebody who might know somebody, and we will track it down. We answer every single message that we get. So do write to us. Again, info at Crush Performance is the email. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush, and on social media, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Search out Crush Performance, and we will hook you up with the world of Crush Performance. All right, well, a big day. As we roll through this whole COVID experience well into the summer now, um, a lot of interesting things are cooking, of course. We're always watching the COVID numbers globally. I'm hoping and praying that everybody stays safe and we just do the right thing out there because safety first and foremost, above all, let's be safe out there. But where there's a will, there's a way. And I think I have to give huge credit to our professional sporting leagues. We know there's a bunch of incentives here for them to get going. Business side being one of the big ones. Of course, you know, it is a business. It's an entertainment business. They need to get rolling just like everybody else. But on the other side, the implications of having sport operating in this crazy landscape that we're in um, runs pretty deep, just in terms of our, our overall wellness. Even if you're not a sport fan, you know, just talking shop or talking about the big home run or the big hit or the great goal or, you know, your favorite players, talking and cheering for your team, even if you're not a big fan. Um, something to take our minds off of the everyday grind. I think that's one of the big things that sports provides us as fans and certainly as athletes. If you're a recreational athlete, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I know recreational athletes, weekend warriors that are as passionate about their sport as some of our pro guys. And for our youth, it's a really, really important part of just growing up. And if you're a parent of a youth athlete, you know what I'm talking about. It's not just about sport though. Think about our young musicians or our um, drama students, um, our scientists, young scientists who are not getting access to, you know, their teachers and their clubs and everything that's going on out there. It runs deep. Sports, however, can be a great getaway for all of us. And I am so, so glad MLS is back. You know, we've seen Major League Baseball camps start. We're seeing some games now. How great is it to wake up in the morning and seeing 
Major League Baseball highlights. No fans. I mean, fans are part of the fun, watching the fans and their reaction, of course, but seeing the big home runs from the Yankees the other day. Fantastic stuff. Judge just boom. I think they hit uh, um, several thousand feet of home runs against their against the Mets here the other day. So great stuff going on in sports. So we're watching sport with great interest. And and thank goodness we're seeing it come back for, for a number of reasons. And as we rumble back last week, we talked with Dave Turgeon, the AA manager for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Dave has an interesting background. He was the coordinator of instruction. So he was actually coaching the coaches in that organization as long as along with, I should say, um, coaching all the players in that great organization, a very proactive forward thinking organization. And as Dave mentioned last week, an organization that's going through some changes, you know, they're going through some uh, internal structural changes and, and we watch them with great interest, but really good messages last week that go beyond baseball. That was from baseball today. I'm really, really happy to announce we're going to switch to another sport. We're going to look at the upcoming NHL season with one of the best skill coaches in the game. And the great thing about this particular individual is his background and his story. Always had a passion for hockey. Grew up in the Chicago area. Always had a passion for hockey. Uh, played, was a great, great player as youth. Great, you know, minor, minor league player as well. And uh, just loved the Chicago Blackhawks to the point where he wound up working his way in and becoming a stick boy. And now he has worked his way up to being one of the great skill coaches in the NHL assistant coach for the Columbus blue jackets. We'll be talking with Kenny McCudden here coming up and it's going to be a fantastic conversation right along the lines of the conversation we had with Dave Turgeon last week. I think the message in the, I, I can't wait to talk to him because I think the message is going to be strong and it's going to have implications well beyond hockey, but it's also going to be interesting to see how the NHL is shaping up and getting ready for their season, which is set to kick off here in a very unique format, two hub cities under the bubble in this Corona COVID sport environment that we're in two conferences, so to speak, one in Toronto, one in Edmonton, they're going to be playing off and working their way to a modified quest for the Stanley cup. And that is a truly a worthy cause for sure. And, you know, people are talking about the Stanley cup playoffs and the playoffs here in this new environment that we're in. And they're saying, okay, well, it's not going to be the same. We're going to need to mark this playoff run with an asterisk. Well, I say forget the asterisk. What we need is an exclamation point. We need to mark this playoff run. And anything that happens in the world of sport right now, if it goes off safely, which we're all hoping for, with a huge exclamation point, exclamation mark. That's what we need. Let's let's be proud of this, man. And, and again, getting back to our pro, pro teams, yes, they have a bunch of reasons why they are doing this. And maybe the top one is the business side. All right. And I get that. Totally understand it. It is a business, but sport means so much more to so many people. And I think that uh, the ripple effect that this may have uh, on our youth, even the implications here for college sport, if the pro guys can get this done properly, safely, and show a model that works in this landscape, this could resonate down. You know, we always say, no matter what we're doing, if you want to figure out what to do, and sometimes, you know, depending what you're looking at, what not to do, look to the pros. Uh, the resources there and, and the innovation there is, is really, really uh, leading the way typically um, for what needs to be done. And in this 
circumstance, I think that applies quite accurately. We're going to be watching with great interest as Major League Baseball gets underway. They're set to kick off here on the 23rd and 24th of July, right around the corner. The NHL is set to kick off here early August. The NBA, they're all hunkered down, and the WNBA are all hunkered down in Orlando uh, trying to work out their situation, and it's going to be great for everybody. I can't wait to wake up in the morning and see some highlights. Now, it's been very cool to see you know, the Korean Baseball League, Taiwan, and the baseball going on over there. It's been really fun to watch some of the European soccer. And again, they've sort of paved the way for confidence here. They're doing it there, and there's confidence here. So uh, hats off to everybody. This is a major feat and exclamation points all around. This is going to be fantastic to watch. It is going to be different, but it's going to be also incredibly special. And today, I think our conversation is going to be special as well. Again, coming up, we're going to be talking to one of the top skill coaches in the NHL, Kenny McCudden, assistant coach with the Columbus Blue Jackets. We're going to talk to them about the NHL season, how they dealt with the downtime. And, of course, Kenny works with players of all ages. So uh, we'll talk about the developmental side and youth youth sport as well. So looking forward to that. Um, and lots of other things going on in sport. Of course, if you're a golf fan, you've been watching golf here for quite some time. And, of course, they're playing without the fanfare as well. But uh, some great stories unfolding right before our eyes in the world of golf. And uh, John Rahm is the latest big story uh, as he takes over as the number one golfer in the world at the Memorial Tournament here last weekend. It's his fourth tour win. And at 25 years old, he takes over as the top golfer in the world. What an incredible feat this is, a changing of the guard in golf. And this is another story of patience, perseverance, and persistence. I mean, he's gone through the ups and downs. If you followed him at all, or if you don't know about him, um, uh, he turned pro four years, 27 days before acquiring the number one ranking in the world. And that's uh, uh, a real tribute to him and his stick to itness. And a lot of guys play for a long time and never crack the top 10, leave alone becoming number one in the world. This is a very, very special event. And it's, it's worthy. If you're just a sport fan, just go watch some of the video on John uh, and just maybe hear his story a little bit. It's really interesting. Of course, the second Spaniard in history to take over the number one ranking in golf and uh, again, at 25 years old, he's got a great career ahead of him. But interesting listening to him talk. Of course, he comes off the 18th hole. And um, once the tournament was over and they announced him as the winner and the number one golfer in the world, the first person to meet him, Jack Nicholas. How about that? And <laughs> just in as Jack's congratulating him there, you know, on the 18th tee or 18th green, um, all he's saying, hey, I'm just, just trying to be like you, Jack. I, I'm just trying to be like you. Really, really cool scene. And he goes on to say in one of his interviews that he remembers as a junior golfer driving with his swing coach or his parents going to a swing session or something like this or around. Um, and he wasn't sure where it was, but he, he was 13 or 14 years of age. And uh, I believe it was his coach asked him, say, hey, hey John, what, what are your aspirations? What are your goals? And at... 13 and 14 years of age, he says, I'd like to be, I'm going to work to be number one golfer in the world. And here he is at 25 years of age, taking over as number one. Just a really cool story, sort of low key. If you're not a golf fan, you probably haven't heard about it, but this is a major event. And there's a lot to learn from these guys who come up. And of course he grew up in, in Spain, obviously uh, came over and played uh, college golf at Arizona state. He didn't speak English when he came over. He said that he learned his English listening to rap music, believe it or not. And here he is uh, speaking great English and 
becoming number one in the world. What a great story. Cool things going on in sport. And, and that's one that I absolutely love. I'm, I'm a big fan of golf. I play a little bit. I'm not a, I'm not a regular player, but I, I love playing golf. But it's one of those incredibly difficult sports. Respect for the pro golfers. And anybody who's gone and swung a club on the driving range or, or even just played nine holes, you know what I'm talking about. And, of course, when you get to the level where you're playing amongst the world's best, uh, the competitive the competitiveness and the, the margin of error there is nominal. You make one mistake, it can make a big difference in how you finish on any given day. And of course, these guys are pushing through. But golf is one of those great sports. And you know, we have this conversation about youth and youth growing up playing multiple sports. We like them to see the experience of playing a team sport, but we also want them playing those individual sports as well. You know, it doesn't have to be golf. Not everybody can get out to a golf club. It can be fairly expensive. But, you know, playing tennis, badminton, ping pong. Think about swimming, for example. That's you. It's you in the water. It's you and yourself. There's a great change when you're working on an individual sport. You might have your team around you, you know, your parents, your coaches, your even your teammates. But swimming's an individual sport. Golf is an individual sport. You might be on Arizona State or for the Ryder Cup, you might be representing your country, but it's an individual game. Tennis is an individual game. Though there's doubles, you have doubles tennis, of course. But you know what I'm saying. It's a great experience for youth athletes to play those individual sports and team sports because regardless of your skill set, you know, you might be geared up and wired for a, a power sport like baseball, but you also might like the individual ownership and the individual control that's awarded to you in those sports like tennis or badminton or swimming. Um, I worked with some uh, really, really uh, great squash players years and years ago, some of the best in the world. And, um, you know, I was asking them what, brought them to the game of squash because it's not really a high profile sport. They've been battling for years and years to get squash into the Olympics. And if there's, if there was ever one sport from a physical standpoint that should be in the Olympics, it is the game of squash. These guys are incredible. And it is one of the most physically, mentally challenging games on the planet. Um, but it's never been an Olympic sport and that's a crime in my books. But I was asking these guys, you know, what brought them to the sport of of squash and and one player that I worked with since he was 14 15 years of age he's worked his way out of the junior ranks top junior ranks into the world ranks and he's done a really good job he played baseball as a young athlete he also played hockey and he loved the team environment he actually still missed it as a player but the one thing that that brought him to the game of squash one he had exposure to it his dad played so he ha had familiarity with the game of squash it might have been golf. It could have been tennis. It could have been in any of the individual sports, maybe. But he just happened to be exposed to squash and had a passion for it because of his parents and his family's involvement. But he said that the reason he moved to the individual sports more than anything else was he just didn't like having his destiny in the hands of other people. He liked being totally responsible for the outcomes and for, for whatever might happen. At the end of a match, it was in his hands, his responsibility. So isn't that interesting? It's one of the reasons we like kids in the youth levels and developmental levels, one, playing as many sports as long as possible, but also having a beautiful crossover of, of the individual sports and team sports alike. Really, really important stuff. And then, of course, um, you know, a few weeks back in June, June 20th, late June, 
Um, the Connor McDavid, of course, with the NHL coming around, uh, you know, we're watching Edmonton with great interest. We're watching with Toronto with great interest as uh, teams are getting set to arrive in the hub cities in Canada. It's going to be fun and fantastic to watch. But we're seeing highlights, of course, from Edmonton uh, last week. A massive storm comes through and there's flooding in this beautiful new arena, one of the nicest buildings in all of sport. A couple of couplings blew wide open under the pressure of the hail and the rain that came, went through and there was flooding inside. And boy, oh boy, were, were we nervous. And I remember being with the Blue Jays years and years and years ago. And there was a malfunction with the roof and the two components of the, the sliding roof on the Rogers Center, it was then called the Sky Dome, collided together and boom, there was a whole bunch of insulation and tin and everything was falling from the ceiling. And they had to, uh, actually, we missed a couple of games. We, we missed a couple, they had to cancel the game that day in practice. Um, but it shut down everything. And we're, we're sitting here going, oh, man, on the eve, on a few weeks prior to the NHL teams arriving in Edmonton, uh, there's this flooding in one of the concourses in the arena. For crying out loud, no, that's the last thing we need right now in, with everything that's going on. Um, it's under control. It's great. But, of course, you get to see then the Oilers practicing there in, in, in the facility and you know, interviews with the players, the building is completely fine. The playing surface, the player areas are 100% fine. This is just a little uh, breakdown in some of the drainage issues. So they got that under control, but, you know, watching McDavid play, he's back healthy and one of the greatest players in sport, athletes in sport. And it was interesting because, you know, late June, as I mentioned, around June 20th, <clears throat> his rookie card sold for a record $135,000. It's the uh, uh, highest amount paid for a, uh, hockey card ever. And then here, uh, yesterday, the LeBron James rookie card, upper deck rookie card goes for $1.8 million. You know, we're all flabbergasted at how much would you pay for the Connor McDavid rookie card? And then of course the conversation goes into how much would you pay for a rookie card? How much would you pay for a, 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 a sports, you know, a card, it's card, or a comic. How much would you pay for a comic? And then LeBron James comes along. $1.8 million. Well, let me tell you, man, if you're a card collector, I'd be, I'd be diving down through the boxes of cards you might have under your stairs in your basement or wherever you store them to see if you have any hidden treasures in there. $1.8 million, LeBron James. I'm not sure that I, even if I had that kind of money, if I would pay that for a, for a rookie card, I'd rather, I think, pay I'd use that money to go see that particular player if I love that player that much. I, I I probably use that money to go see him play and practice and just see how he operates as much as possible. As much as I respect that card and how unique that is, and I guess maybe documenting history and the timeline of the great players, you know, 135000 for McDavid, that card is probably going to be worth maybe one day as much as that LeBron card. So whoever bought that for 135000 that might be a great investment. Anyway, interesting times. Speaking of interesting times, ladies and gentlemen, stick around because coming up after this break, we're going to have a fantastic talk with one of the top skill coaches in the NHL, Kenny McCudden, assistant coach for the Columbus Blue Jackets. We're going to talk return of the NHL. We're going to talk player and athlete development, and we'll see where the conversation goes, but I can guarantee this, this is going to be one great performance conversation coming up on Crush Performance right after this. Stick around. This is Crush Performance. If you have questions, comments, or smart remarks, write to us at CrushPerformance.com.
And welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Thanks for sticking around over that quick break. We've got a really great conversation coming up with Kenny McCutton, assistant coach for the Columbus Blue Jackets. As the NHL gets set for a playoff run like never before. Two hub cities, 24 teams as we get set for a showdown for the Stanley Cup. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out. Crushperformance.com is the website. Subscribe to the podcast or sign up for our newsletter. Either way, we'll connect you with the world of performance. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Search out Crush Performance and we'll hook you up there, of course. All right, well, let's get to it. I'm very happy to introduce Kenny McCutton, assistant coach for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Kenny, thanks so much for joining us. I know it's a very, very busy time. Great to have you on the show. Jeff, thank you very much. Uh, I, I look forward to uh, this show because uh, hockey's back in our blood right now, and uh, uh, you're a very, very good friend of a childhood friend of mine back in Chicago by the name of Pete Caliendo, and that's our tie for today. It sure is, and I'm so glad. Isn't it great how the world works sometimes, connecting people? And, and of course, the world of sport is such a beautiful place to be, and boy, have we missed it. And is hockey in our blood. Very, very excited. But before we get to all that good stuff, Ken, you have a really, really cool story. You are now operating with the Columbus Blue Jackets at the highest level of sport. Maybe for our listeners, let's just maybe take them through a little snapshot of, of your path to getting to where you are today because, man, it's a great story, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, being a Chicago guy and growing up with uh, the Stan Makitas and the Bobby Halls and the, and, and, and the, uh, the Tony Esposito's, uh, you know, I mean, that was on our WGN, which is our Channel 9, and uh, watch, watching them and going to Blackhawk games and being addicted to the red, black, and white of the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, it was a, a great city and in the late 60s and the early 70s to grow up in as far as to watch the game. So, yeah, obviously hooked and played my whole entire life uh, out of Chicago and uh, turned down a couple of scholarships when it came to playing college hockey and uh, uh, the interesting part, Jeff, that you're probably asking about was, uh, you know, when I was probably playing uh, Bantam hockey my last year at Bantam, maybe going into midget, uh, uh, I became a stick boy there with the Chicago Blackhawks yes. and uh, learning to become an equipment manager under Louis Varga and Skip Thayer. So uh, basically I was considered the very first third man back in 1978, 77-78 uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks and uh, uh, had a great uh, upbringing there and uh, was around the block uh, very, very quickly as a young man and was able to be uh, in that locker room with the likes of the Keith Magnusons and the Espositos and the last year of Stan Makita. So, uh, um, and that led me into coaching, and uh, that's where we are today. Oh, I love it. Such a great story. You know, we hear of these stories once in a while. Uh, passion for the sport. I was a massive Montreal Canadiens fan growing up in Edmonton and if you can imagine in that through the 80s <laughs> so you can yeah, imagine oh, the, yeah, yeah, oh, you, yeah you can imagine the challenges for me here but I one of my favorite jerseys one of my all-time favorite jerseys as a kid and I collected all the NHL jerseys of course was my Blackhawks jersey still I think one of my favorite jerseys in all of sport today uh just in terms of the logo and and what that means to that great city and of course uh the, those people as well how it honors those people um but but isn't that incredible how how uh, sport can influence the, the young mind sometimes? I, I get fascinated by it. Well, Jeff, I mean, I, I really believe uh, sport is an awful lot like the arts. I mean, if you if you love it and you really want to be good at it and continue to be at it, you got to put in the hours. And we know it's thousands of hours. And uh, whether you're painting or playing the piano or guitar or, or throwing a baseball or, or slapping a puck, I mean, bottom line is, 
you got to work at it. And, and if you want to be very, very good at it uh, as a player or a coach or whatever the case is, you got to put in the thousands of hours also. Yeah, and that's the truth. We're talking with Kenny McCudden, assistant coach for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Well, hockey is back. And of course, the entire world, Kenny, is going through an incredibly difficult time. We saw Major League Baseball on the cusp of their season, the NBA getting shut down, um, NHL shut down, the NFL still. What an incredible time uh, for the business of sport at the professional levels. But boy, oh boy, Kenny, do I feel for the millions and millions of young kids from college right down to grassroots who are missing their passion, which is sport. You know, it's a real challenging time, not just for the pros, but for everybody. Um, how's it been from your perspective, yeah. you know, working with these guys? Well, we, we, well, you know that we were, our world was thrown for a, a loop as far as what happened here with COVID and, you know, let's, let's forget about, um, you know, I mean, sport for a second and think about what it, what it did to our world, what it did to life and what it did to the economy. So I think sport becomes a, a backseat to all of that, but here we're trying to come back, Jeff, with it all. And, uh, uh, I think people are really pining for it as they would say, uh, needing it in their life. And it's a shame that they're not going to be part of it as far, as far as being in the stands, but, uh, um, as far as watching it on TV, I mean, I know everybody's, um, so interested to, to see how it all comes back if it's healthy, all the above. But I think the NHL is doing just a terrific job in order to try to put their ducks in a row and, and get this off the ground the right way. And the right way is the healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. No question. The NHL is doing it right. They are going, they're not, they're pulling all the stops to make sure this goes off well. And, and again, there's going to be hiccups and they're dealing with those in stride. I mean, it's a great thing, but when we look at the, the, the power of sport in society, this is going to be great. Uh, even if for people who are not a sports fan, just to get, some form of normalcy back. I think it's really, really important to get our pro guys back for, for that reason, but also to get our young aspiring athletes, you know, seeing the pro guys back out there again and, 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 and getting that passion back, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, we, we got to get kids back on the baseball diamonds. We got to get them back on the, uh, you know, tennis courts and basketball courts and ice rinks. And, uh, uh, it's slowly here in the States when it comes to the kids game, getting back on the ice. I mean, uh, I'll speak for back home. My home is Illinois and Chicago, as I said earlier. And I think they're putting 20 kids now on the ice and putting 10 on one half and putting 10 on the other. And uh, I think that number is going to grow very, very quickly. But what may not grow, Jeff, which is really a shame, is the compete part, whether or not these kids are going to be able to travel and uh, go out of state uh, to Michigan down the street or, or, or Wisconsin down the street and be able to compete because of where uh, COVID is and where the slight spike is with it uh, uh, throughout the States. But, uh, you know, there's no doubt uh, kids, I mean, yeah, the kids are, are the ones that are our major fans and the parents are our major fans. And uh, I know for a fact that they're just dying for the sport, but uh, uh, we still got to think safety there too, when it comes to the local rinks, when it comes to these park districts, uh, opening up a pool or whatever the case would be. I mean, we got to think safety first before we bring these kids back in a healthy way. Yeah, so many things to consider. Kenny, you know, one of the things, as soon as this hit, we started, you know, working with our athletes in virtually every sport. And we started talking about, okay, everybody, how are we going to frame this up? How are we going to deal with this unprecedented shutdown that we're all facing? Again, keeping it in perspective, of course, sport is uh, just one small part of it. We, we all understand the big picture, but um, to keep people involved, we had this, um, uh, 
cool initiative on the crush performance side here. Stay sharp during the shutdown. And, it, you know, we, we got all of our athletes right up to our pros really framing this up as an opportunity to attack things and do things that, that we wouldn't normally get to do if it were business as usual, if seasons had been going on as usual. I'm wondering, Kenny, I've been really interested to ask you this question, you know, with, with the pro guys, I know they, the uncertainty was crazy for everybody, but um, what was your approach during the shutdown here with the pro guys? Cause I think there's a lot to learn from, from, from how you guys manage yourselves. Well, obviously, I mean, everything was shut down what, uh, you know, as far as a pause for such a long time for months and rinks weren't open, whether it was in a province of Canada or whether it was a state here in the U.S. But, uh, um, I mean, I think everybody had to go back to their resources, whether they had a gym or nothing at all. Some guys didn't even have a stationary bike. So, I mean, uh, whether you're a kid or whether you're a pro, they had to dig it, dig it out of the dirt, as they would say, and dig it out of the ice uh, some way, somehow, in order to keep in shape. But uh, um, I remember after nine weeks, I was dying to get on the ice, just myself, without even players. So once everything started opening up slowly, I have three sheets of ice right directly behind my house. Uh, I asked the general manager of that rink uh, whether or not uh, I can skate on my own. I was skating at 5.30 and 6 in the morning. Once we got the AOK to gradually open up, but I was dying for it. So, uh, you know, I mean, I was looking for that resource even earlier, but I don't think it would have been wise to skate any earlier because the bottom line was our state was not in a good state, um, at that time. And, uh, uh, it wasn't the right time to even go to a rink that was sanitized. So, uh, uh, bottom line, we had to live by the rules and, uh, and, and we still could continue to have to live by the rules. But I know for a fact that players um, really had to change it up. And I saw it in the voluntary skates, Jeff. I mean, when we, when we came back a month ago with these voluntary skates and small groups here in the NHL, um, I, had a, I had a total of nine skaters and two goalies in my group. And uh, to be honest with you, we, we, uh, the thing that we worked on immediately was just trying to get their feet and hands to work together build on a little bit of the lungs and, uh, you know, work on the reps that way too, but uh, just build with it because it was going to be a building process prior to the training camp that we're in today. So uh, the bottom line between equipment managers, your medical staff, three coaches, like for instance, I'll speak for our team, Brad Larson, Brad, Sean, myself were the ones and Manny legacy, our goalie coach, we were handling the small groups and uh, everything had to be done right. I'm talking about one group early in the morning. And then you're talking about basically a two-hour gap where everything had to be sanitized before the next group can come in. And the same thing for the third group. But the big thing for my group was we were riddled with injuries last year, Jeff, yeah. as a hockey team for nearly three months. And a lot, of, a lot of man games lost throughout the season. And we might even set a record. But uh, my goal was... For instance, I had Seth Jones and Oliver Bjorkstrand who had broken ankles uh, uh, throughout the end of the season, and uh, they had the rehab. I mean, they had the rehab all summer during that pause or throughout the spring and the summer where we are today, but to get them back was to get them back healthy and slowly bring them back to where we are today. So the voluntary skates were incredible to have for the pro side. 
Yeah, I love the idea of the voluntary skates and... I can imagine these guys chomping at the bit to get out there and get 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 participating in those, especially working with you guys again. We know, you know, talking to our young, our young, our young athletes, our grassroots even, they're missing their teachers. They're certainly missing their coaches and teammates. Uh, that doesn't change just because they're they're pro guys. These guys love sport and, and they can't wait to get out there. So I love the idea of the voluntary skates. Well, that that's that's where I think it was a little bit different than the NBA. I believe the NBA skates, or I should say. Uh, voluntary uh, practices were without coaches and uh, here in the National Hockey League it was with coaches and I think our players were looking for direction our players were looking for something concrete and and directed by coaches because players are players by the end of the day and uh, uh, they may be doing the same drills every day whereas a coach is going to come in with a new game plan every day but the players were definitely looking for direction and uh, I noticed within two weeks within my group, not only were they getting in shape, uh, mind wise, they were getting in shape hand wise, as I said earlier, their feet, their lungs. Uh, but the compete side was really starting to come. And that's the beauty about sport at the highest level is what the compete level is like. And, uh, at the highest level, it's all about compete by the end of the day, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Kenny, you have been noted for, uh, your, your uh, expertise as a skills coach, you know, for all of these kids who aren't getting to participate, whether it's hockey or, or any other sport, do you have a message for them? I mean, we've really, really gone out of our way to be creative. You know, we're asking our hockey players to mess around with soccer balls. We're asking our baseball guys to shoot basketballs. We're talking to our golfers about getting a hockey stick out. And, you know, there's a lot of cool things that can go on in this shutdown. And, and there's a lot of ways you can get better without playing the game because sport will return. We're just really encouraging everybody to, 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 when, to be there, be there in the best place possible when it does come back. Well, you just said it right there. I mean, I, I listened to some words you just said about it's called crossover, being able to do other things uh, to enhance your own sport. And um, Jeff, during that pause, I must have did 90 hours of conference calls, these Zoom conference calls with coaching staffs and hockey clubs uh, here in the States and in Canada and, and throughout Europe. And I had as many as, uh, you know, 200 coaches on and as little as 25 coaches on. But the message that I was trying to send was at a certain age, all the way up to maybe 14 or 15, we got to allow our young athletes to play other sports. I mean, it's only going to enhance the main sport if they get that chance. But I know, I know the older they get, they have to choose, they have to pick. And for instance, in the States in the fall, uh, you've got hockey and you've got football, for instance. Uh, well, you know, what coach is going to want you the most? That's, that's a decision by the young athletes. That's a decision by the parents. And you hope you get two coaches that can figure it out for the best of that young athlete, girl or boy. But uh, I'm, I'm a big advocate, and I, I tried to preach it, and I got on my soapbox with those Zoom calls about allowing our younger kids, 7 years old, 10 years old, 12, 14, to be able to play as many sports as possible. And I'm really, really a big advocate on playing solo sports like tennis and golf to be able to figure out who you are, play by the rules, to, to learn what it's like to dig down deep when you don't have teammates around you and you're all alone. So uh, sports like that, I think, are just such a terrific uh, starting block for, for a young athlete. And not only that, to teach them about life, 
teach them about who they are, and then make them a better person by the end of the day. Oh my goodness, Kenny, you are preaching to the choir right now, my man. It's like we've been hanging out, <laughs> talking shop through this whole thing. Uh, isn't that a beautiful message, everybody, for who all of our Crusher listeners that, that have been listening in? This is exactly right out of uh, uh, our playbook here as well. So it's really, really good to hear that. You know, one of the issues that we're seeing with this, um, you know, these massive dropout rates we're seeing in organized sport here in, in North America, Canada, in the U.S., um, you know, one of the big culprits here is this whole idea of early specialization. And, and you, you can kind of understand mm -hmm. the draw here for, for people who don't understand it. It, it, it kind of makes sense, you know, give, give your young son or daughter every opportunity they, they could possibly have to chase down the dream of the sport they love. Unfortunately, uh, it's a risky, risky game to play, isn't it? When we specialize too early, we really do limit a lot of the, the, the learning and the well-rounded robustness that we would get out of a multi-sport athlete down the road. So, so I love to hear that you're saying that, especially in these times when, when sports not carrying on is normal. Yeah. And, and one thing you and I have not mentioned is the injury factor. Sure. What happens uh, to these young pitchers, to these young hockey players. Uh, I mean, we're seeing uh, younger hockey players getting hip injuries and resurfacing of the hips at, at 18, 19, 20 years old today, coming out of junior university, whatever. Uh, by the time they maybe dirt, do dirt, uh, become pro 23, 24. I mean, to have your hip resurfaced at that young age, it's, it's really a shame by the end of the day, but we all know what that's from. It's from the repetitive motion over and over and over from six years old. Same thing with a pitcher throwing, throwing junk, throwing curveballs, throwing knuckleballs, whatever sliders, fastballs, um, bottom line, 16, 17, 18, getting their work arm done, getting their work uh, done to their shoulder and their arms. So uh, we got to be very, very careful as parents, careful as coaches, careful for the sport, how we push these young athletes. Yeah, it's so true. We're seeing it in basketball with knees, exact same scenario you're talking about with the young hockey players, overuse injuries. We're seeing knee replacements, hip replacements in ages oh, yeah. where in ages we never, we never, we've never seen it before in the history of recorded human mankind. Uh, but it's happening now and it has a lot to do with this emphasis and, and the, I guess this, this high performance attitude we have at the developmental ages. Um, one other thing that I really liked that you talked about, Kenny, was the idea of get, making sure that your young athlete participates in team sports and individual sports. That is just so critical because there's a physical element to sport and, you know, which sport your, your young athlete might choose down the road. But there's also a personal and, and psychology side to it as well. And sometimes those individual sports just suit the person better, regardless of their physical abilities. So that's a great message as well. I love that. Well, it's, it's the truth. And uh, uh, I, I think the big problem that we are seeing and I personally have is, and I'm so glad I wasn't part of it. Uh, I was very proud when, when, you know, throughout my camps, hockey schools, clinics, whatever you want to call them. That I, I, that I never worked with seven and eight or nine-year-old kids privately, one-on-one. -on -one. I didn't believe in it. I thought, here we are playing a team sport. They should be out there with six or seven others. Um, so if I did do a private, Jeff, back in the day, and I did many of them, it usually was with six kids or more. I wanted small groups. And uh, it's no different than with the pros today, how well that works, to be able to have small groups, small games, all that type of thing. But I, I, uh, I was a big advocate of it uh, 25, 30 years ago where I did not believe in a coach working with a young mite or a young squirt 
at 10 years old alone for one hour, uh, teaching him the game of ice hockey. And the reason why I didn't believe in it is the attention span wasn't there. And the bottom line is they need other players to be able to work with, to feed off of, to dish the puck to, to be able to read and compete with. So uh, turning hockey at six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old into a solo sport and giving privates at that age, I was not a big fan of. Yeah, no, and it's such a great message for parents to to understand because you know sometimes Kenny, with the greatest of intentions, parents set all this stuff up. And uh, unfortunately, it can be incredibly detrimental. So these are strong, strong messages to, to send right now. So, so I totally appreciate that for sure. Um, I, hey, w- w- one great image I have of you and the Blue Jackets mm-hmm. uh, and you personally, and, and I just, um, our good friend Pete Caliando actually put me on to this, is um, the, the, the stick tap that you got when it was announced on the ice in front of the team that you had been in, inducted into the Illinois uh, Sporting Hall of Fame. That is a great image, Kenny. I'm actually getting goosebumps just talking about it, but I love that image. But it also uh, brings brings sort of that that team feeling to me, right? That team, everybody's just so happy about something that that that, that you accomplished, and you know they were really part yeah. of it. But they were just happy for you. That is a great image. I'm going to post that link on our social media here coming up because I want everybody to see it. But man, was that a special moment, man? Yeah, no, it was. Uh, I remember. Uh... I got the call um, from USA Hockey and uh, uh, back in October, and it said, they said that uh, I would be inducted into the Illinois Hockey Hall of Fame in January, late January, which I was so honored. I thought about uh, my life of growing up there and playing there and teaching there and being part of the Chicago Wolves and the IHL and the American Hockey League for 18 years prior to uh, getting here to Columbus the last five years. Uh, so this all runs through your mind, but... Uh, uh, shortly after the call that I was told I was going to be inducted, I gave Brad Larson a call uh, that day, and I said, "Lars, I just got a fantastic call." And Lars is uh, uh, one of our one of our better younger coaches in the National Hockey League, and he let Torts know, he let John Tortorella know privately. So uh, I think within a couple of days after that, we ended practice, and you're talking about that video that was shown uh, that was shown on our TV here, the Fox Ohio Sports, and. Uh, Torts, uh, Torts has built that kind of culture around our club to be, be like a family, whether it's yeah. the training staff, the medical staff, the coaching staff, and the players. And he brought it up, and, yeah, the boys, uh, the boys all skated at me and gave me a punch or rubbed my head or whatever the case was. But uh, that's when you know uh, you're well-liked. That's when you know you're respected. And, uh, yeah, it meant an awful lot to me um, when it comes from your peers and then uh, – you know, Nikki Foligno shortly after that presented me in front of the locker room behind closed doors in front of the boys, uh, uh, a wonderful bottle of wine. The thing must've stood three feet tall and it was signed <laughs> by all the players in gold. Oh, man. And, uh, then I had to give a speech and, uh, uh, but that's what we've built. That's what John Tortorella has built. And, uh, yes, I was honored not only by my own state of Illinois, but I was honored by our, our National Hockey League, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Oh, Kenny, so great, man. And I'm getting goosebumps. You're telling that story through this whole 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 uh, uh, conversation here uh, because, that you know, the, the word culture gets thrown around sometimes a little loosely, in my, in my opinion. But um, you know when you see it. You know when you see it. And I think that's what I saw there. And I'm really, really happy. And that's why, you know, I love watching you guys operate. You know, despite those injuries, you know, they, it's a tough schedule. It's a tough game. You know, you can overcome the injuries. But 
But boy, when you have that sort of in-house family brotherhood type of a fraternity, boy, boy, yep. there's a lot you can overcome, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And um, I, I think culture leads into identity. What, what is the identity of a team? And, and what, uh, what do you want to bring to the field every, every day or the ice rink every day? So uh, culture has to start first. The change of culture for the better, obviously. Um, you know, we're so fortunate in the game of hockey that the majority of players that are in the game are just solid, solid people. And, uh, uh, we're so fortunate with that. And it makes, it makes your life that much better at the highest level. But, uh, uh, by the end of the day, that culture has to lead into identity. And if, I think if we have one bit of identity with our hockey club, it's, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm fortunate too, that I was brought on, you know, basically at the same time, only two weeks prior to John Tortorella, but here I was able to work with a, what I believe is going to be a hall of fame hockey coach and, uh, um, and to be around him every single day to see how he works and, uh, to see what his message is, his delivery is and, uh, and how our players react is what our identity is about, Jeff. And, uh, and if there's one thing, you know, that I think that we're all about, we're a blue collar team that really, really works hard before practice because I bring usually about six to nine players out 25 minutes before practice just to get them all warmed up and get them ready. And those players are usually the best players in practice because they have been warmed up. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're very, very fortunate there. And where we're fortunate also is at the end of practice, post-practice, we have so many young players. I mean, we have a, probably the youngest team, I believe, uh, we're the youngest team in the NHL right now. We have this culture of staying post-practice. And that means when practice is called, the whistles are gone, and we talk about our schedule the next day, we have half of our squad that stays on the ice for an extra half an hour. <laughs> now, we may not be doing that after 60 or 70, uh, 70 games of an 82-game schedule. We might get off 10 minutes or 12 minutes after, after a practice. But the bottom line, before, during, and after, we're all about putting in the minutes, all about putting in the work, uh, getting the mechanics right. And uh, you know as well as I know, I mentioned it earlier about the thousands of hours um, players at the highest level are still looking for direction and they're looking to get better. So that, I think that's where we put in the time. Oh, I love it. We're talking with Ken McCudden, assistant coach for the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. That right there uh, was my next question. You know, I've been lucky enough, Kenny, to be around high-performance sports, of course, in Major League Baseball. Uh, I've helped the Oilers mm-hmm. out with their testing and run their rookie camp. So I've been around the NHL quite a bit. I've, I've worked in pro football. I've just been really lucky. My past has been lucky as well. But I think people yep. uh, sometimes underestimate uh, how much the pro guys still want to learn and how much they still want to look for ways to get better. That's, that's part of the fun at that level too. It is. And, uh, I, and I think the secret to working at the high levels, and this, this goes for coaches that are listening to your show. Uh, if you're, if you're a coach in major junior or you're at the triple a midget hockey, um, or you're, you're, you're in the East coast hockey league, whatever the case is, I believe you have to work around the athlete at, at all these higher levels as a coach. Work around the athlete. Don't bring the same exact game plan to all of them. Change it up. So, for instance, when I identify who I'm going to have the next morning uh, before practice, I want to work around every one of those individuals and implement something that pertains to their game. So it's not just that I'm throwing a blanket practice 
at those eight or nine guys. I'm throwing a little bit of an individual practice at each and one of them, but they all have to do it by the end of the day. So uh, I, I, the way I look at that is it's almost like being a golf coach, a golf coach or a goalie coach uh, for your audience out there with, with hockey mm-hmm. uh, has to work around that individual uh, not to make them into the other athlete or the other goaltender or whatever the case is. So uh, a good golf coach, for instance, if you're working with Tiger Woods one day and say you have three other, other uh, solid pros on tour, you're not going to try to make those three other guys that you have as your clientele into Tiger Woods by the end of the day. Uh, you have to work around every one of them individually. And good goalie coaches do the exact same thing with their two goaltenders. So I try to do it with larger numbers. And I think the players recognize that I'm doing that individually. And I think if there's one main thing uh, also that I'd like to bring to your coaching uh, uh, audience out there is change it up. Change up your practice plan as much as you can. Uh, stimulate their minds. Guess what? By the end of the day, whether they're six years old or 26 years old, they recognize it. Yeah, great stuff, Kenny. I love that. That is great, great sage advice from one of the league's best coaches, everybody. Uh, Kenny, listen, I, I know you guys are in the heat of battle here. The NHL season uh, playoff format is coming back. We're hoping for a, a early August start here if all goes well. Um, for everybody else, Kenny, maybe some some final words here. We know for the kids who are missing their college seasons, potentially fingers crossed. Hopefully, yep. hopefully, you know, the, this NHL system will, will shed some light on how we can get some of these other leagues safely going. I really hope that's one of the outcomes here for sure. Uh, but... But let's just hypothesize that for all those young players, aspiring semi-pro college players and our grassroots players who, who are just dreaming that this winter they can get on the ice, uh, maybe a message from you about things they should be focusing on during this downtime. Well, number one, Jeff, in my mind is to be as safe as possible. I mean, uh, for not only themselves, but for their family and their friends and, 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 Pay attention to what's going out there. I mean, we're seeing this influx of, uh, you know, here in the States of these younger people getting this COVID. So bottom line is safety, the safety measures that are out there, we can individually take those upon ourselves to do it, do it the right way. So that's number one. But number two, if they, if if all these other sports get a chance to be able to see, uh, you know, the platform of major sports doing it the right way, like you said, maybe college will be, be able to do the exact same thing. Maybe youth level sports will be able to do the same thing. We can only hope for that. But I think in order to do all the above, Jeff, safety is the key, key issue. So, uh, um, I mean, if, if we, if we all work at it, I think we'll all succeed. Yeah. Well, all we can do is wish you guys all the best and all of the safety possible. We're really, really looking forward. And, and again, Kenny, you know, this might sound, well, I'm not sure, but but I just want to, you know, I really am thankful for the pro leagues, the players associations, the pro leagues, the coaching staff for for putting in the effort to to get this going because it would be I know the business side of it. We all understand the business side of it, but but this doesn't have to happen. I mean in the in the in the big picture, but I really do believe it's going to be important for everybody out there that these sports get going again uh and I agree with you. Safety has to be the number one one priority. Listen, Thank you so much for today. What a fantastic conversation. We'll be watching you guys, the entire league and all of sport with great interest, Kenny, and uh, uh, all the best to you and the team out there. Jeff, thank you very much. I, I, I really look forward to speaking to you. I know we've been trying to do this for some time. 
So if we ever want to have chapter two, let's do it again someday. And thank you very much for today. You bet. There will be a chapter two, Kenny. All the best. Thank you very much. Okay, there you go. Fantastic discussion with Kenny McCudden, assistant coach for the Columbus Blue Jackets. So many really good messages there. And there's a there's a coach that's been around the league, still working with youth athletes, but really focused on the highest level of the game. Oh, man, I love talking to these guys and have that perspective and the real understanding of grassroots development and also what it takes to help the best players in the world get even better. So much to take away here, but I think maybe one of the strongest messages that that uh, we could take away from our conversation with Kenny is just safety. Everybody be safe out there. Let's figure out a way to be active. It's coming together. Let's really keep our fingers crossed for the return of sport and uh, everybody just stay safe. It's an important thing in this day and age for sure. And you know, once the vaccine comes around, we will return to sport. It's all going to return and there will be a new normal. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to be the same. It'll never be the same. It's going to be better than it was before. That's how we roll. We just learn and get better constantly all the time. Have to thank Kenny for that great conversation. If you want to go back and listen to it, go to crushperformance.com. You can go back and get all of our archives for what? 16 years of performance conversations going way, way back to 2005, 2006, I think is when we started kicking off the show full-time live. So many great, great conversations along the way. And here we are in one of the most trying times in human history, talking about sport and performance and keeping our minds on what it takes to truly reach your potential. How great is that? What a great distraction from all of the negative stuff out there, but keeping our eye on the reality of it all as well is really important. Again, great conversation with Kenny. All right, everybody. I want to thank you also for tuning in. And if you want to share this with your friends, again, crushperformance.com is where you can go for the podcast. We've got some great series coming up here as we continue the crush war on sugar. We are digging down and connecting right now as we speak with some very, very interesting experts in the area of human nutrition and health in general as the uh, Crush War on Sugar will continue here as we enter the late summer into fall. And we're also going to be doing a fantastic series on the brain. As we continue our discussion, should the brain become one of the top priorities in Crush Performance? Right now, of course, we have four. Sleep, rest, and recovery being number one. That should drive every single performance program out there. Number two, nutrition, hydration, posture, range of motion. Number three, and number four, movement. And from those four... Everything else can be attacked. But without those four, you're going to have a really hard time tapping into your potential. The question now is, where does the brain fit in? Have we been missing a critical link? It's something that we have addressed most certainly with vigor as well. It's incredibly important. But we've addressed it typically after we have our athletes set up ready to go, after we have our plan in place. But perhaps, should we be addressing the brain Not just in terms of performance, but the psychology side. Yes, the brain performance side, the focus, the goal, orientation. Should that be addressed before we even start planning our priorities? That is the discussion, ladies and gentlemen, and we are going to dig down deep coming up into the fall. So stay tuned for that. Again, if you have any questions, comments, smart remarks, get to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance's email. We would love to hear from you. We answer every message we get. So reach out. If you so please. All right, everybody, that's it for today. Get out there, go get better, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. Goodbye now. Don't forget to write. 
Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crushell. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com. 